Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Keep or Cut podcast. This is Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. Very excited to be back. And Pete, just a little uh, a little bit of news, more, almost more for you than our listeners, but I think they'll enjoy it too. As of our last episode, we have crossed over 2,500 downloads of the Keep hey. or Cut podcast in our lifetime. So pretty good. Pretty good little run we've been on here dating back to January. And, you know, I think it's, I, I was excited for that. I felt like that was a big milestone. I have no idea if 2,500 is a lot. It feels like a lot. Hey, man. Yeah, I'll take it. It sounds like a lot to me. Why not? Let's see if we can get over 2,600 with this one, maybe even more. I think that, I think those will do it. I think so. I, I would hope so. So I think what we're going to do with this one, we're going to do some, some QA. We put out a call on Twitter in the auto news slack in the pitcher list discord we got questions from all three sources mostly around the the trade deadline and upcoming keeper decisions right i mean i think those are the big things on people's minds right now most fantasy managers in in these keeper leagues are either out of it and trying to figure out what they're going to do for next year or desperately trying to get themselves ready for the postseason if there's postseason or for the stretch run if there's not a postseason. So th- those are what most of these questions are about. What about you, Pete? What are you, what are you mostly focused on right now? Well, that makes sense. But I mean, in most of my leagues, the trade deadline has already passed because oh, really? we have the head-to-head. Yeah, we have the head-to-head playoffs coming up soon. And in a lot of my leagues, we don't use the last week or two weeks of the regular season unless it's a rotisserie format. Um, so you know, because those weeks can get wonky as teams schedule their starters for the playoffs and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, they get a little messy. So for me, what's on my mind in keeper leagues, it's, it's really simple. It's I'm not even looking at it as a keeper league and I'm getting ready for the playoffs, like you said, or it's time to set up for next year. Who are my guys? Who, are, who I'm, I'm figuring it out even now. Yes, in mid-August. I want to call it early August because we're, we're back to school soon. So I'm going to call it early August um, where... Who are my keepers? I, like I, I want to have a pretty decent idea of who they are even now in August. Yeah, and I, honestly, I start thinking about that even earlier in the season. As soon as I start thinking about trades, I start to map out who do I think my keepers are? Do I think that I have room to add keepers? Do I think I want to get rid of some keepers? Um, depending on the league rules and the league structure. So that that totally makes sense. It's something you definitely should be thinking about now if you haven't been already. It's crazy that your trade deadlines have passed. I mean, my leagues, even, you know, my auto new leagues, auto new trade deadline is August 31st. So we still got almost three weeks before we hit that. Even in my other leagues, though, even with playoffs coming, we've got at least another week. And and I think that's my first big trade deadline in in one of my major leagues that I really care about deeply (laughs) is coming up. Sure. 819. That is a league where... We'll start with this as a topic. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the first question, Pete. I'm going to put you on the spot because I didn't get you prepared for this. So I apologize, but I'm going to ask. Fire anyways. away. <laughs> I'm in third place in this league in the regular season. Uh, we pay out the top two regular season finishes, and then there's playoff payouts as well. So I would like to make a run over these last few weeks to try to get one of those top two spots and obviously to set myself up well for the playoffs. My star player in that league, one of my star players in that league, is a $15 Mookie Betts, and he is back on the IL. And I know I have asked you about this Mookie Betts before. I got a trade offer of a $23 Jose Altuve, a $35 Aaron Nola, and a $9 Josh Hader for that Mookie Betts. I am having a conversation with another team about probably a similar-ish package of a big bat, a I I, I want to say a frontline arm, but Nola's been only sort of a frontline arm this year, but a frontline arm and a and a closer in a league where my pitching's been weak. And I am I've had this Mookie Bats, I I think for four years or five years. In this league, we we get players voted off your roster every year, but you can protect two. And Mookie has consistently been one of the guys I protected. He would be one of the guys I protect again this offseason, but I don't know. Would you would you trade Mookie, given what's been going on with him, 
in a pure win now move. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually surprised that you you even have to ask me because I would just assume you are so all in on this move. I think you're getting back a, a pretty awesome package in return. And I know Nola's been inconsistent this year, but the strikeouts have still been great. And he just pitched what? Yeah, so he, he because of the rain delay, he was dominating the Dodgers through four innings. That's just one hit, no walks, seven strikeouts, no earned runs. I see something like that. Like, yeah, okay, you're right. It's been inconsistent, but I still view him as the word you used a frontline starter. And then you're getting the best closer in the game. And I'm sorry, who was the the other bat, Chad? Uh, Altuve. Yeah, so the the best second baseman this year. To me, now that's a no-brainer. The big challenge with Altuve for me is in that league, I've got Simeon at second base, Bichette at short, and Willie Adamas as my middle infielder. And so Altuve basically pushes, basically makes those four guys take up my middle infield spots and my util spots. And so I've been using an outfielder mostly in util. And as a result, he directly replaces Betts in my lineup. Now, given that Betts has been hurt and not great and, and may not come back and who knows what's going on with him and all this stuff, that's not a bad trade-off to make. But it's not quite as good as if I were weak at middle infield and desperately needed to upgrade second base. Or if I needed an upgrade at second base, this becomes an easy, easy choice, I think. It's much harder knowing that Altuve effectively becomes my utility guy. From the sounds of things, though, it's it's not even hitting that you're worried about. It's addressing the pitching. So I, I'd be curious to hear... Because we got Hader on the COVID IL right now, and and Nola's inconsistency. Even though I just like I said, I'll stick by that frontline starter. I'd be curious what that other package would end up being, and I'd also be curious if if this this owner would be willing to switch out Altuve for another piece. Is there any other guy in that team that you could pry? That's a good question. I'm going to take a look at that team right now. I will tell you the other the other trade offer. There's no offer. The other there there's no offer yet. It's just another conversation I'm having right now, and. The request I have put on the table, and it may end up costing me a little bit more than bets, is uh, a $20 Chris Bryant, basically in place of the $23 Altuve, an $18 U Darvish in place of the $35 Nola, and an $11 Rizal Iglesias instead of the $9 hater. And by the way, the, the team that has hater also has Devin Williams. And I am likely to just demand that they include Williams because Williams is a cut as soon as he goes back to not being the closer in the way that league is structured. And so I'm likely to demand him just as a like, he doesn't do you any good. Let me use him until he gets worthless. And then I'll cut him and go back to hater. But that that's basically it, right? And it's like, hater is clearly the better of the two closers, plus has better keeper value than Iglesias. I like Altuve more than Bryant, although knowing that Altuve can't play second base for me, maybe that or doesn't need to play second base for me, maybe that balances that a bit. Darvish versus Nola is an interesting one, I think. Uh, Darvish is by far the better, better long-term piece because he's half the price of Nola. But boy, either one of them, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of a gamble because either one of them could just absolutely dominate, you know, a couple weeks of a playoff matchup and either one of them could, you know, not do that. <laughs> well, this is clearly a move for this year, obviously. I mean, you you have to keep in mind what it does to you long term. You know, all right, I'm not I'm obviously not keeping Mookie anymore. Do any of these incoming pieces become keepers, so on and so forth. But because this is a this year move, I don't I don't view Iglesias and Hater too differently. If I felt very strongly about the rest of the package, I do agree Hater's got better keeper value. But for this year, especially that position, you know, one we've talked about a lot in the past, that doesn't bother me. It comes down to more what are Darvish and Nola's schedules? Because I mean, when we talk about these, question. when we talk about these pitchers, I mean, these guys have like like what like seven, eight starts left. Maybe I'm lowballing that a little bit, but not many. And I, I was very interested to see the Red Sox got Chris Sale coming back on Saturday. He's facing his matchups are so easy. Like, I, I, and I just definitely just jinxed him, and I apologize to all of Boston. I'll start packing my stuff right now. But like, I mean, he, I think he gets the Yankees once. And then it's like, it's a very easy schedule for him. And that was one of the things I noticed because I got him coming back in a lot of leagues. So it's my long-winded way of saying, and I should have just looked it up instead of saying, what are Nola and Darvish's schedules the rest of season? And just take the one that you think has a better schedule because you're in it for this year. Yeah, looking at that right now, I don't, I'm not going to look at their their individual schedules yet just because I don't know when their next starts are and stuff like that. 
And it's all, it is also unpredictable. You never know when stuff gets moved, but so Nola, they've got the reds, then the diamondbacks, then the Padres. Then they've got the rays and the diamondbacks again. So a couple matchups with the diamondbacks. Then they've got the nationals who don't have anyone good left except for (laughs) Josh Bell and Juan Soto, the Marlins, the brewers who are good, but have not hit particularly well. Then they've got the Rockies in Philadelphia. The Cubs, the Mets, the Orioles, the Pirates, and then they end with the Braves. That's a pretty nice schedule for the Phillies. That's a great schedule. Padres, meanwhile, have the Diamondbacks, and they are at Colorado, although that's pre-playoffs. It's a little less problematic. Then they've got the Phillies, and then the Dodgers, the Angels, then the Diamondbacks. And then in September, the Astros, the Angels, the Dodgers, the Giants, the Cardinals, the Giants. Woof. The Braves, and they close with the Dodgers. Oh my god! Uh, so, so Nola, it is between those two. That's a, that's a drastic difference in their schedules. My goodness, dear God, that is just brutal. Yeah. Okay, that's very interesting. The other thing I just noticed, by the way, as I was looking, you asked if there was someone other than Altuve I could grab. So I was looking at that team to see who are their expensive bats that they might be willing to to move instead. They have a twenty seven dollar Glaber Torres, but he's hurt and has been terrible. I'd rather get Altuve. They have a $33 Vlad Guerrero Jr. Uh, I would obviously much prefer to get Vlad than Altuve, (laughs) but I would also imagine that I would get laughed at for (laughs) suggesting it, so I won't bother. Um, But what I did notice looking at that roster is uh, Josh Hader is back. Oh, I didn't realize he was back today, but he tested positive in early August. He was able to keep throwing, and he should be basically at full strength. So he is the closer. So I don't even need to get Devin Williams in this deal. Mm -hmm. I could just do. Hater, Nola, and Altuve. Interesting. This is very interesting. So now I got to make a decision. I will. I will report back the next time we record. <laughs> Please do. I'm intrigued what now. What I decide to do, <laughs> but um, I shouldn't be monopolizing this for my own purposes. We should be answering <laughs> listener questions since that is what we set out to do. So let's go to that. Let me pull up our sheet. The first question. And it, it came from sort of two different sources. It's two similar questions. Uh, Hayden on the Auto News Slack and Alex Tran on the Pitcherless Discord. Hayden asked, maybe guys who are having down years but were excellent in 2019, 2020, such as Jorge Soler, Jeff McNeil, Ian Happ, and how do you assess them at the trade deadline? And then Alex Tran asked, what are you doing with guys like Yellick and Conforto as we get towards playoff time? So that is a big list of names. There's another name that isn't in there, which is Cody Bellinger, who I think very much fits in that group. I think we should try as best we can, Pete, to both talk about some of those guys specifically, but then to answer generally, like, what are you doing with these kinds of underperformers? Yeah. Um, I think that we can, let's start generally and then we can get, get specific. We're at a point in the season where like, I mean, how how much longer do you want to wait guys out? You know, it looks like if you waited out Bellinger and you waited and you waited and you waited while well, you're having a, a nice week and let's hope it continues. I still worry about his playtime against lefties. But again, I don't want to get too specific on individual players. But I mean, especially if you're a borderline playoff team, if you're a borderline playoff team, like you have to make these decisions. And I'm sorry if the guy's reeling in the O for fours with three strikeouts and he's just killing you like Michael Conforto is. I can't, and he has two hits today, of course. I can't keep rolling him out there. I just can't do it. Not when I have somebody on the bench, potentially like an Anthony Santander, who I want to talk about, or Santander. We're not going to go down this road again, but I do want to talk about him for the first time in like a year. Um, But if you have somebody like that lurking on the bench who's tearing it up, you just have to get them in. So in a keeper format, yeah, you're not going to, I mean, in any format, there was some talk on Twitter about people cutting Bellinger. That's too drastic of a move, but in any format, especially a keeper though, you're probably not cutting Conforto. You're probably not cutting Bellinger, but it's definitely time to bench them until you start seeing results. Now, Bellinger, I'm probably going to start playing him at least when he's in the lineup, but Conforto, I'm having a hard time trotting him out there. Um, and, and you shouldn't do that with these guys. Interestingly with Conforto though. So leading up to August 1st, over about a three to four day period, he was 0 for 15, went through just a really brutal stretch. Starting August 2nd, and leading up, not yet including today, he has been absolutely on fire. Uh, since August 2nd, he has a 134 WRC+. plus. It's a 250, 379, 458 slash line. And that's despite a 263 Babbitt. He is walking more than he strikes out. 
Uh, he's walking 17.2%, striking out 13.8%. Now, it's 30 plate appearances, right? It's it's very, very <laughs> limited playing time. But his K rate has been trending down since about mid-July. Like if you look at like a 15-game rolling average, in July 9th, he peaked at a 32.7% rolling K rate. It's now down to about 21.6, and it's been bouncing between about 17 and 20 for a, for a few weeks now, uh, a couple weeks now. His walk rate has been consistently up. It never really dropped that low. It dropped low late last year, but it's been up all year this year, and it's it's sort of staying there. And there, there was a, a piece um, by Brian Holcomb on Pitcher List on July 26, so right before this hot streak, about Conforto. He, he wrote an Is It Legit? And he talked about three names. I can't even remember who the other two are, but you should look this up. Brian Holcomb's Is It Legit? piece from July 26th. And he basically said Conforto's been unlucky and that this improvement was coming. And sure enough, within a week, he's been he's been crushing the ball again. I am I had been benching Conforto. Actually, I'd been, I'd been benching Conforto and playing Yelich because Yelich had actually had okay overall numbers. They weren't great. They weren't what you expected from him, but they were better than a lot of alternatives. And Conforto had been terrible. I think I might flip that. I might start playing Conforto and benching Yelich because Yelich has been trending down and Conforto is trending up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, going into today's game since August 4th, the average was 250. So like, I mean, I I do, I see the WRC plus and I, and trust me, I've been looking at that expected WOBA and the even the expected batting average, all the stuff that he'd been underperforming. He hadn't been living up to his expectations, like I'm sure the piece talks about. And I hear that. But I guess my point is like, at some point, I, I need to see it. I need you to produce. Like, we're, If you're telling me that in May, then I'm like, all right, I'm going to keep plugging and playing Michael Conforto because it's going to turn around any minute. But like, I mean, I, lately, yes, yeah, since August 4th, the, the numbers look a little, a little nicer. I, I, don't, I don't like them as much as, much as you do. I don't, it's not enough of a sample size for me to say like, all right, yeah, he's turning it around. I want to see more homers. I want to see the extra base hits. But it's something, sure. But until I, I have a, a reason to get him in there that is more clear to me, I just can't do it. Well, wh- while you were saying that, literally while you were saying that, he doubled and then came around to score on a double. <laughs> I'm just so. going to keep talking about him. Let me know when he's up again. <laughs> he, we, we got a little while. They're, they've got eight hitters to go. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he's... I, I don't know. I, I think the thing with for me with Conforto is I've been a Conforto fan for years. I've always liked him. And so I'm inclined to believe in even a small sample as evidence that like, okay, he's turning things around. That may just be confirmation bias, right? I might just be you know, looking for the information I want to look for, but I'm intrigued by him right now. I'm, I, I actually think right now I would be looking to go buy Conforto if I can. Now, I think your general point though is, is absolutely right. Like if guys aren't producing, you cannot play them on name value at this point in the season. There, there's, it's just not going to do you any good. And so, you know, one of the names that Hayden asked about was Ian Happ. I'm done with Ian Happ. I'm starting to cut him in some places. I haven't been playing him for a while. And that's part of how I realized I should be cutting him. It's just not happening. Yelich, I'm not sure what to make of Yelich because he just, he's, he actually early this year, he wasn't showing power, but he was getting on base and things were going well. And he's just been in a downhill trend for a while now. And Man, I you know in our in our league, our auto new league that we're both in, I have a forty seven dollar Yellick, forty eight dollar something like that, high forties, and I was I spent all off season trying to trade him. Nobody wanted him, and then I was like, I think I should cut him, and I had a bunch of people tell me I was crazy and talking <laughs> into keeping him, and I just I don't know. I now it easily could have been a situation where like he put last year completely behind him and, and was just on fire this year. And right. Like, you know, Chris Bryant seems to put last year behind him and been, been great. But I feel like there's a lot of cases of these guys like Yelich who were like, Oh, 2020 was such a weird season. And this guy is going to be fine. It's like, we said that about Bellinger and he's been terrible and maybe he's just been hurt, but he's been terrible. We said that about JD Martinez and JD Martinez crushed the ball for like a week and has been kind of pedestrian since the first or second week of the season. Uh, and so I don't know. I'm, I'm, I almost feel like I spent a bunch of time sort of brushing aside 2020 and maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I should have paid more attention to it. I don't know. 
But I agree with you. If, the, if these guys are not producing, you got to move on. Um, I am looking. Some of the other names that were asked about, Jorge Soler and Jeff McNeil, are also guys who have been doing much, much better recently. Um, Jeff McNeil's second half, so since the All-Star break, he has a 299 average, 357 on base, 506 slugging. His strikeout rate is down to 13.1%. It was only at 13% in the first half. Um, the big difference is he's he's getting a better BABIP and he's hitting for more power. Um, so I've been intrigued by what he's been doing in the second half. He had three home runs in the first half in 185 plate appearances. He has three home runs in the second half in 84 plate appearances. Uh, he's also stolen a base in the second half. He only had one in the entire first half. So McNeil is starting to turn things around. And then if you go look at Jorge Soler, he has a 314 average, 429 on base, 600 slugging since the trade to Atlanta. <laughs> um, some of that is a 348 BABIP. And so you know there's some regression coming there. But Soler has been just absolutely crushing it. And I think it even dates back to before the trade, but the trade is a nice, easy time to, to look at and get excited about. So... I think the thing with these stars is if they're not producing, you've got to move on. If they start producing, you've got to get them in the lineup. And the reality is a, a Soler or a Conforto or a Bellinger, like if they start to hit, there's nobody on your bench who's going to outproduce them if they're hitting. And so at some point, you've got to just, you've got to lean in. But if they're not hitting, you know, if this turns out to just be 30 plate appearances from Conforto and he turns back into a pumpkin tomorrow, <laughs> Like you're going to have to find someone else. And I would put in a Santander or someone like that because you need production right now. Name value is not getting you anything. You know, it, it, I think Christian Yellick is such an interesting case study. You know, he brought up Bellinger, he brought up JD Martinez. I mean, should we have taken 2020 more into account? Maybe. I mean, I'm looking at Martinez's stack ass and sliders now and his overall numbers. His OPS is about 900. I think he's been fantastic. And so when I look at, I look at players in 2020, I think it's, it is an individual case-by-case case study where like, well, Bellinger made a swing change and he had stuff going on with his shoulder. That's probably why he's performing poorly. J.D. Martinez said he was struggling because he couldn't look at the video um, and that, I mean, it was just pretty much a down year for them. And you look at his numbers this year compared to last year, it is a little bit night and day. Yelich, though, like, what is it? And I, and when I saw his name in the question, I went and I looked, I said, okay, what are his numbers since the start of last season? It's 130 games. That's a big sample. That's 434 at bats. There's 18 homers, 11 steals. Okay. Light on the power. And I think we all expect the speed to go at some point with all these guys, but he's batting 217 over his last 130 games, 217 with a 29% strikeout rate and 51% ground ball rate. And I know if we ask Christian Yellick, because he's talked about this in the past, that to him, like launch angle is just a symptom. Like when things are going well, your launch angle looks great. And when things aren't going well, your launch angle looks poor, but there's nothing you can do really to change that. I always thought that was kind of an interesting perspective. And to be fair, he won an MVP with a, with a five degree launch angle, but right now it's, it's back around five. And when he won that MVP, he wasn't striking out as much. So he had a higher volume of balls in play, which allowed everything to play up. The launch angle in his monster 2019 season was up over 11. So those ground balls, the strikeouts, it's just, that's a horrible combination. That's what I look for in pitchers. Do you strike yeah. guys out and do you generate ground balls? And Christian Oaks doing yeah. that as a hitter. Yeah, there was, there's an another article, Pitcher List, on uh, July 19th. Jeremy Siegel did a, a deep dive into Yelich and what, what's going on with him. And I read that and came away very concerned, <laughs> feeling a lot of the things you're feeling. And so... Pete gave you the short version. If you want the the longer version, a little bit more of a deep dive, go check out that article by Jeremy because it's got some really great information in there. You're going to come away with the same takeaway though, which is that there's something actually wrong here. And I don't know what it is. I don't know. I think the big question with Yelich is going to be, what do you do with him next year? Because in, you know, in a dynasty league or in keeper leagues with no cost, he's probably still a keeper because I don't know how you you don't keep him. If there's a cost or if you have a limited number of keepers, he's probably not. He's not going to be worth the price you have to pay to keep him. And so he's going to end up back in a lot of drafts and you're going to have to make some decisions about how much you want to spend on him and what kind of draft capital you want to spend. Whew, not going to be a fun choice to make. No. And real quick, Chad, uh, can I just add on to that for a second? I feel like we, we took the negative approach and I just want to really highlight two guys pretty quickly. 
for the positive, like guys who had this great 2019 and they're looking poor this year, but I think you should actually buy on as opposed to someone like Yelich. Anthony Santander, we've talked about in the past. He had an OPS over 900 last year. He's back to doing, he returned from the COVID IL and he was plagued with an ankle injury pretty much all year, a bad sprained ankle. He's not striking out and he's not hitting ground balls. And that has been a great recipe for him um, over the last few days. And if it's probably too late, but it looks like Kenta Maeda is back just to throw a pitcher in there. Uh, he was somebody everybody was concerned about, and a lot of people invested highly in. But over his last seven starts, he's he's got a, a FIP of 3.13 and an XFIP of 3.14. So he's been pitching much better. As your deadlines approach, mine have passed. If if Maeda is somehow cheap, I would get him. I think you're going to get some value. Yeah, and I also think the other, the other positive angle on this, if it's to put it that way, is if you've got, if you're looking at a team that has a Conforto or has a Yelich or has a McNeil or a Solaire and is frustrated and is trying to compete and needs production now, see if you can buy low. Even if you're not sure you're going to keep them, if the price is right, sit on them and see, maybe Yelich turns something around in the next six weeks. Maybe Conforto proves that these last 30 plate appearances were him getting back on track. Maybe McNeil's second half looks like it has so far, right? Maybe Solaire just really likes Atlanta. Who knows? <laughs> but I think if you, there's an opportunity to to sort of get a guy from a frustrated manager, and and I would take advantage of that if you can. But yeah, if if you've got one of these players and you are trying to compete and they're not producing, if they start producing, use them just like you plan to. But if they're not producing, at some point, it's their numbers and not their name that have to matter when you're setting your lineup. So let's jump to our next question. Um, Mike Maud on Auto News Slack was curious about some future call-ups you can grab before they're in the bigs. And we talked about this a little bit last week in our episode with Chris Clegg. And so uh, if anyone's interested in more information on prospects and stuff like that, if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. It's a, it's a good one. And there's some great, great information in there. But we can still throw some names out there, right, Pete? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely suggest listening to that episode for me in super shallow leagues. And I play in a few 10-team leagues. I don't play in anything less than that, not anything against those formats, but 10 is as low as I go. Bobby Wood Jr. is the obvious name, right? I mean, he's he's got to be the target tearing up AAA. For deeper, I suggested maybe Edward Cabrera, although Jesus Lazardo might confuse that situation a little bit. And I still don't want people to forget about Vidal Bruyon. Bruhan, not that anyone is uh, like uh, trying to make myself seem like, oh, I know about this prospect that no one knows. It's not nothing like that, but he had such a horrible debut that I think people may have like put him down. But if, if he does somehow find his way to get playtime in Tampa Bay, which would obviously be the question, then I'd, I'd pick him up because he's tearing it up at AAA again. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I would also be, I would take a look at bad teams who make call ups, right? Because a team like Tampa, if they call up Bruin again and he struggles again, they're gonna they're not gonna keep giving him playing time because they can't. They're trying to compete and they they need to win games. If if the Cubs or the Nationals, one of these teams that's sold, a team like the Orioles, if one of those teams calls someone up, be ready to buy if a guy gets gets off to a hot start because they're gonna get playing time. And if they get someone who they call up and that person has a really good stretch then they have a real opportunity to to claim a job for the rest of the year. Which I, I think actually I'm gonna I'm gonna jump to a different question than I'd planned on. Um Alex Tran, we we answered a question of his before, but another question he asked was what are some of the things you look for on the wire or looking at in your roster as playoffs are coming? The reason I'm jumping to that is because playing time is one of the big things I'm looking at. And that's why I'm saying look at some of these bad teams and who's performing well or who they call up. Because those are players who those bad teams want to see what those guys can do, and they want to give them every opportunity. They're not saving them for the playoffs. They're not going to bench them over a cold streak because they need to get their wins. Like that's just not what they're going to do. They're going to give they're going to give these guys some leash and let them go out there and play. And like you're in a two week playoff, and having a guy who is playing thirteen times over those two weeks instead of a guy who plays ten times over those two weeks is a big difference. And so when I'm looking at the waiver wire right now, that's one of the big things I'm looking at is guys I expect to play regularly. And tying this back to what we're talking about a minute ago with Jeff McNeil, who's been hitting better lately, one of the big things that concerns me with McNeil is that while, yes, he's been better lately, his overall numbers are still not good. 
the Mets need to win games. And presumably at some point, they are going to have a Baez-Lindor middle infield. And when they do, you got Baez and Lindor there. Those positions are locked down. He is no longer playing second base. Third base, they've now got J.D. Davis back. They've they've got to figure out a way to get McNeil in there. They don't necessarily have room in the outfield for him. So like, I don't know where he plays. I don't know what his playing time situation is going to be. Now, in auto new leagues where I've got a 40-man roster, maybe I'm not as worried about that because I've got the depth to play around with that. But in less deep leagues, I'm not sure I want to wait for him to turn it around just to find out that he's been moved to a platoon role or something or a part-time role or something like that. So, Pete, what about you? What are some of the things you're looking for on the wire as you get get down into the playoff times? I Definitely the guys who kind of were asked about earlier, guys who have underperformed, who maybe are showing signs of life. Obviously, you want to get in on that at any point in the season, though, so I'm not sure if that's really specific to the playoffs. It's just more like, who can I buy low on and, and add on free agency? I, I just think it's it's the playtime. I think you hit the nail on the head. You have to be looking at, okay, maybe I've waited all year for Jaron Duran. I've been stashing him, and I wanted him, but he's not performing that well, and he's been better recently, but Kyle Schwarber's coming. Actually, the Red Sox have quite a bit of reinforcements coming. Maybe he's going to start losing playtime, they don't play the same position, but could I replace him with Patrick Wisdom, who, because of all of those trades the Cubs made, he's just regularly slotted into the three hole in the worst lineup in baseball, by the way. But still, the three hole is going to get a lot of volume. He's played pretty well this year. He's he's impacted the ball well. He's a little fast. He's not Jaron Duran. He's probably not going to be Jaron Duran over the next five years, and he's probably not going to be close. But could he be somebody that helps me win a title this year? Probably more likely than Jaron Duran, yes. I think to that point, and Durant, uh, wisdom fits this a little bit, is I'm also buying on hot streaks right now, right? At the end of my roster, especially, you know, I don't want to give up on a, a stud just because someone else has a hot streak. But like, if I've got guys at the end of my roster who I'm churning through, buy on that hot streak. Because if it can continue for a couple weeks, that can win you a playoff matchup. Right. And it's like Patrick Wisdom is a great example of a guy who has had some hot streaks already. And he could go off and hit five home runs in a two week period and swing an entire matchup. Like that's not an unreasonable thing to see him do. And so, you know, he gets hot. Aristides Aquino in Cincinnati, if he gets regular playing time and gets hot, like those are the kinds of guys, like they can swing a matchup. Um, and so for playoff time, yeah, ride those hot streaks and and take advantage of guys who are who are hitting well if you've got the space at the end of your roster to churn. The other thing, and we talked about this before when we discussed my Nola versus Darvish decision, look at who teams are playing, especially for pitchers, but hitters too. Like, you know, a team's got multiple games against a like a hitter who's playing a bunch of teams that aren't competing is also likely to face a bunch of pitchers who are just getting some work in <laughs> or a bunch of minor league pitchers who are getting a chance just to see what they can do. Um, a pitcher who is fortunate enough to be facing you know, the Cubs multiple times, the Nationals multiple times, the Diamondbacks, the Rockies, the Orioles, the Pirates, like teams like that, those pitchers are going to do better. They're going to perform better than pitchers who are much better than them. So go out and get them and take advantage of those matchups. The last thing I would say I'm looking at is players whose season-long stat lines don't reflect what they've been doing for, let's say, two months now. Um, Cal Quantrill is a guy who comes to mind for me, and maybe that's pure homerism. But Quantrill is a guy who there was a lot of hype and excitement about him coming into the season. He didn't have a rotation spot, and then he did, and then he didn't, and Cleveland sort of jerked him around for a little bit. And now he's been out there making pretty regular starts dating back to like, I don't know, late June, mid-June, something like that. And if I look at his numbers since like June 6th, it seems like is roughly when he regularly got himself into the rotation and hasn't left. He hasn't been great, but he has a 3.61 ERA, a 4.02 FIP. He's only striking about out about seven per nine, but everything else is really good. He doesn't walk a ton of guys. And so he's able to, to control things. And, and part of that issue, part of the issue here is he actually, I'm, the six is the wrong date. I'm going to push back to the 15th because the six, he just made a one and a 
one third inning appearance. Then he came back for a relief appearance three days later. It's really since the 15th now that I'm looking that he's made 12 consecutive starts, 64 innings. And here he's got a 3.09 ERA, a 3.82 FIP, still only about 6.75 strikeouts per nine. He's been good. And his overall line on the year is is not good. <laughs> and so when you look at his overall line, um, I think it's hiding just how good he's been, right? I think a lot of people are looking at what he's done. And he actually, he has a 3.13 ERA in the year, 3.91 FIP, but it's he's got these 32 appearances and only 14 starts and it's sort of hard to tell what's going on. And I don't know. I, I found that people are looking at Cal Quantrill and are not buying in. And I think it's that weird overall season he's had and he's been really good lately. I'm interested and to so, see what changes he's made too, because, and maybe it's none, but that, that strikeouts per nine, it stuck out to me because I was like, ah, eh, I, I, I'm not, a, I'm not big on guys who don't get strikeouts, which, you know, isn't a, massive statement but over his last four outings that strikeouts per nine has definitely climbed in each of those outings like his his overall season long he had the one big one with 10 against detroit which you know you can say he's against detroit but he's still a double digit strikeout a guy who has a seven k per nine had a 10 strikeout game so could be a fluke but I'm, I'm interested to see him going forward for sure so yeah i would look at that i would look at guys who have been really good for the last couple months long enough that you feel like it's something worth betting on but have overall season lines that aren't super impressive or are confusing or throwing something off because there's an opportunity there to to buy in before other other people catch on. So I'd be looking at that for sure. So let's jump to another question now. Let's go with this one. Little Piranha on the Pitcherless Discord wants to talk about Jorge Polanco and his value as a keeper. He is having a great second half but not sure if he is keepable for 2022. That is the question. Where are you on Jorge Polanco? Well, in terms of him being a keeper, it obviously depends on, you know, your alternatives, how many guys you can keep, so on and so forth. I can say confidently he's not really like high on, on the list of guys that I would want to keep despite the the awesome year that he's having. I feel like he's done this to us before where he was it in 29. Uh, you know what? It was in 2019. So maybe, Maybe he's a guy who actually kind of fits in of like someone who had a down 2020 who we should have been maybe more in on going into the season. Kind of he like had an ankle injury. Is that he had what an it ankle was? injury last year and he was really down. And at the time, it's like he, like you said, it was 2019, right? He has this weird track record where he'd been, he'd always been fine. He'd always been a totally decent, solid middle infielder, but nothing special. And all of a sudden in 2019, his first season with 20 plus home runs, he he puts up a 295 average, 356 on base for those of you in on base leagues, works out to a 352 WOBA, like an absolutely excellent season. And then when 2020 was bad, the team was saying, and he was saying, oh, he's got this ankle injury and it's dragging him down. It's holding him back. And once he's healthy, he'll be fine. But it's really easy to say that. It's another thing to actually believe it, right? It's It's very easy to look at his track record and be like, Yep, 2019 was just his career year. 2020 was, you know, obviously bad, but he's going to revert to what he was in 2018 and previously, and that's fine, but it's not particularly special. 2021 looks an awful lot like 2019 for him. Yeah, it does. 2019, 79 extra base hits. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm changing my tune. If we're if we're going to write off 2020 for so many guys, and for some of them, it's clearly unjustified. We should have taken it into account like we talked about earlier. But I'm willing to do that if he was battling an ankle injury and say that, sure, I mean, I'll, I'll be in on Polanco. I've always liked the tools. I've always kind of viewed him as a batting average specialist. But if this pop is legit, you know, an OPS over of 828 this season, then then why not? The thing, I mean, the question of is he a keeper, like you said, it totally depends on like how is your team structured and what are the rules for your league and all these kinds of different things. In an auto new league, if he's low cost, and I think in most auto new leagues, he's probably low cost, he's probably a keeper. Um, I, I would think that in, I'm trying to think, I have him in at least one auto new roster, and I'd be very surprised if I wasn't keeping him there. In a league like the league I was talking about, this bets trade, we keep 14 players, plus you get two guys voted off your team. So really anyone who's a top 16 player on a team is either a keeper or voted off. Polanco's probably a keeper in that format. If you get three keepers or five keepers or something like that, 
things change, right? And it's it's a much harder choice to make. What I would say about Polanco is I would sort of look at what he's done in 2019 and 2021. And I think that's sort of who he is. So let me throw out some scenarios to you, Chad. Yeah. Let's say in Otnu, you have a $25 Cattell Marte and you have a $1 Jorge Polanco. Who would you rather have? Ooh, that's an interesting one. I would probably want both. But <laughs> if I have to pick one, I, I think I would rather have Polanco and $24 to spend. Right. So uh, what about this one? Uh, Jorge Polanco in the 22nd round or a Jeff McNeil in the 10th round? That's a really tough one. I, I guess it's it's probably it's probably again Polanco, especially given how much McNeil has struggled. And, and McNeil was so up and down last year, right? right? He had the great second half, which was really just a month. Now he's starting to pour on a great second half again, and that makes me want to buy in on him for next year. But man, I mean, Polanco's just been good this year, and he was good in 2019. And I, Polanco. Yeah. At those prices, Polanco. So right, so in a vacuum, you know, in a lot of cases, he might lose out, but he'll be a guy you can target if if you're in a format like that. I think it's a, I think he's going to be kept in most formats like that. Yeah, and if and if you've got somebody who is willing to sell on him because they're like, eh, he's been up and down. I don't believe he's that good. I would, if you could pay a price where you're paying for a guy who is something in between his, you know. Something more like his 2018 and previous, something not as bad as his 2020, but not as good as his 2019 or 2021. If you can pay that kind of price and get him now, I would go do it. Yeah. So let's see. What are we doing? How are we doing on time here? We got time for a couple more questions. More people asked us stuff. So let's keep let's keep rolling here. Um got a question from Michael on the Auto New Slack. Basically wants to know how he knows if he's being too complacent in thinking about trades. And so, Pete, I think we're looking for sort of a general answer here, but let me give you some of the, what he called, he referred to them as the gory details for his particular case. <laughs> so I'm going to give this to you. He is in a first year Fangraphs points league, and he is in what he calls win now mode. He's in first. There's one team only about 200 points back, so pretty close in second. Everyone else is, as far as he can tell, out of the picture. He hasn't seen a lot of movement over the last six weeks. He's been about 200 points up. It's sort of staying there. And he feels like his trade chips are either guys he's regularly using in his lineup. So Jorge Polanco at $1, Brian Reynolds at $4, $10 Kevin Gaussman, $10 Key Brian Hayes, or guys he's relying on because of injury, such as Dom Smith, who's playing, it sounds like playing first base for him with, with Anthony Rizzo out. And then he's got a bunch of platoon guys, a $1 Hunter Renfro, $1 Jimer Candelario, $4 Josh Rojas. Um, and then he's got some veterans, Adam Duvall, Justin Upton, Carlos Santana, Ryan McMahon, who he, he may end up dumping in the offseason anyways. And he's sort of trying to figure out, like, is he being too complacent? Should he be making some trades? How do you, how do you evaluate that kind of thing, right? When you're, when you're, you've got a team that has a shot to win, how do you know if you're... I mean, the, the challenge here is you could sell everything, right? You could just go all in and dump all of your long-term assets into stuff that helps you now and leave yourself with a bare cupboard for next year. That could be a waste though. You might win without doing that. So how do you know if you're being sort of smart and shrewd and making the right choices versus being complacent and, and blowing your shot? I think there's there's too many ways to overthink it. Um, I can say that I'm, I'd never, I never think I can't give up these assets because I might be able to win without doing this trade because it's all about winning. And if this trade is is absolutely going to increase my likelihood of winning the season, I'm going to do it, particularly if I'm in playoff contention. It is a balance in these long-term leagues because like, I was in a difficult position in my 16-team head-to-head league where it was like, I'm having a down year, but my roster was loaded. I had Gilito, I had Scherzer, Altuve, Alfred. Like, it was a really nice roster for a 16-team league. It just wasn't performing. And Michael Conforto was a big part of that. But we got to the trade deadline. It was like, I, I have to make a decision. And I can choose to go for it with this roster, even though I'm most likely going to miss the playoffs. Or I could trade for Vlad Guerrero Jr. And I, I, at some point, I, that sounds like extremes. Like you're either contending or selling out for a keeper. But it, in your, I think in people's heads, it should be one of the extremes. You need to be all in. I'm trying to win this year. Or all out. I am not trying to win this year. Because as you put in the notes, 
flags fly forever, man. And if you can get that championship, do it. But if you weigh the situation, you're like, you know what? It's just not in the cards this year. Then then sell out and sell. You, you can't be on the fence. I think MLB teams can be on the fence. Fantasy players, they shouldn't be. You're either trying to win or you're not. Yeah, I, I think there there are some scenarios where being on the fence can make sense if there's a reason to compete for a different spot. So like I've got some leagues where you, know, good you pay out the top three. And so if I'm fourth and I can make a run, I may sell out enough to try to make that run at third without going crazy if I don't think I can get to first. Sure. Um, auto new with the auto new prestige league requiring qualification next year. There are definitely managers out there who are trying to get in the top six of their league because otherwise they can't participate in the prestige league next year. So there are reasons to 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 sort of play a more balanced approach in those scenarios. In most leagues, though, I agree. Like you either win or you don't. And I'm I'm probably as guilty of anybody. I do a I, I always believe I can win. I always will make trades to win, but I also tend to I I, I hoard the guys I I really care about for the future. And so What's interesting about this question specifically from Michael is he didn't list a bunch of prospects, right? And I've been very clear that like, I don't like hoarding prospects. I'm happy to trade my prospects for guys who will help now because who knows what to make of them. I really struggle when it comes to like trading a Jorge Polanco or Brian Reynolds or even a Hunter Renfro or Jimer Candelario, like guys who are performing well, because I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm taking too much away from my future. The prospects might be good in the future, but these guys are good, and so it hurts a little more. Looking at what what his team is, though, I don't know. I think if I could package, like Rizzo's out, and we don't know how long he's going to be out. I think if I could package Dominic Smith, Hunter Renfro, Candelario, Rojas, guys like that, McMahon or Carlos Santana, if they have value to someone, for a first baseman who could actually replace Rizzo and really help me out instead of what, what Dom Smith has been doing lately, which hasn't been great. Uh, and it kills me to say that because I love Dominic Smith, but like if I could trade those guys for a put me over the top first baseman, I would do it. Um, I I'm less likely to do it with like a Brian Reynolds or a Jorge Polanco and certainly not with a Kevin Gaussman, but it's not because I don't believe you should trade those guys for help. It's just like, who are you trading Kevin Gaussman for that's going to make you better than having Kevin Gaussman? <laughs> like, exactly. The, the combination of his future value and what he's doing literally right now, I just don't think there's any benefit to that. Um, if I'm going to trade Kevin Gaussman then in that team, then I'm looking for a deal like the Mookie Betts trade I talked about before. I want an ace who replaces Gaussman and the first baseman who replaces Rizzo in a single deal. And then I'll, then I'll think about giving up a $10 Kevin Gaussman. Um, so, but I think if I was this team, like I'm not looking to make that deal right now. I'm already in first. I'm in a good spot. He says he feels good about his team, but I would be looking like those, those end of the roster guys that you're talking about, those platoon guys, those injury replacements. If you can package those guys for, for something better, go do it. If you've got prospects, you can move for something better. Go do it. Like take advantage and go out and make those deals because Flags do fly forever, and and two hundred points, like two hundred points, is not a bad lead. That could disappear tonight, <laughs> like it could be gone Absolutely. by the time you wake up in the morning. So, um, don't don't be complacent. Go out and make those deals. Find a way to get yourself over the top if you can. Uh, the other thing I would suggest in auto new leagues specifically is make sure you're looking at your pacing. Um, if you have thrown, if you're behind the pace on innings pitched, but have enough pitchers left that you're going to be able to make that up. Like that's an advantage. That's a built-in extra set of points you're going to score that your opponent won't. So I would keep an eye on that. Um, yeah, and that's you know same thing with games played. If you're like way ahead or way behind the pace of games played, especially like if you're way behind at this point in the season, it's going to be really hard to make that up in games played. If you're way ahead, just keep in mind that that 200 points is a little bit of a false sense of security because the other team is going to have games you don't to make up for that. So. I want to jump in and do one last question before we get to the auto new question of the day. Um, John, it's at John Coke 92 on Twitter reached out and said, if you've sold out similar style question, if you have sold out for 2021 and auto new current team is currently in second place with a $510 salary. 
How do you like to approach the offseason end of the season with free agents, cuts, offseason trades? This is he said he also tells us his league is 1248, his team is the Aqua Sox. Pete, any thoughts on what you're doing after you sell out? Right. I mean, that's really what he's getting to is I've sold out. Now the season is wrapping up. Let's assume you're getting towards later in the year, right? Because you're not it's not trade deadline stuff. It's more like September moves and then the off season. What are you doing with a team that you sold out with? Well, I'm praying to God that I win, first of all. Um, but once we get to the offseason, obviously this is not something I've gone through before because this is my first season playing in Aught New, but I'm kind of being ruthless with the cuts, I think. I think I'm saying to myself, all right, I went all in and it worked or it didn't work. And I clearly can't have a $510 payroll. Uh, and, and I just get ruthless. I, I'm going to keep my values. I'm going to definitely identify like who are my guys that are keep my team definitely respectable next year. Who are my like $1 Brendan Rogers or $1 Adam Frazier's and obviously hold on to those. But I, I, you said this to me and I, when you saw what my team was going into the auction, you said like, Oh, I thought you're going to be a lot more ruthless with the cuts. And honestly, I wish I was. I wish I was. I kept a lot of players that I definitely could have gotten cheaper in the auction. I just had no idea how that was going to go down. Like a James Paxton, which obviously now looks stupid. But remember in spring training, everybody was looking at James Paxton being like, whoa, he's back. And they got him for like $11 million. Um, So, you know, not to go down that rabbit hole, but I wish I was ruthless. And if I was in a situation like that, I would definitely be ruthless with the cuts and, and make some hard decisions. Maybe a $40 player who's fairly valued at $40. I'm still cutting because I, I need to make some space here. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And I actually think like, given where this team is, I'm looking at this team's roster right now. Their bench has some guys like they have CJ Crone on their bench. Right now they're starting Jimer Candelario at first base, Nelson Cruz at Util, but they've got Anthony Rizzo coming back from injury at some point. Um, They've got a bunch of outfielders. And so like Tommy Pham, Austin Hayes, Jake Fraley, all bench bats for this guy right now. Michael Conforto is also on his bench. Ahmed Rosario on his bench. I would be looking to see if I can consolidate some of those guys, even now, and trade two of those guys for one more solid player immediately just to help for now, right? Just as a, a last couple of moves before the trade deadline to try to track down that team that's ahead of you in first place. Then in September, I would start, especially late, late in September. So I, I would start to think about like, which of these guys do I just not need anymore? Right. And like Austin Hayes is kind of useful to you right now, maybe, but like by mid to late September, I would cut him for like a prospect or someone who has some upside in the off season, somebody whose value might be low now that you can get cheap now, but who might be more useful as a either a trade piece or just as a keeper, pending how the off season goes. So I, I would be looking at, at moves like that, um, even in September. And then when the off season starts, you're going to want to start shopping some of your more expensive potential keepers, right? And so this is like. You know, Pete, you were just saying like a $40 player who is you know worth $40 is maybe still a cut because you got to make room. Some of those guys you'll be able to trade. Um, I, I know I said I, I, this is going to be my second time sort of knocking JD Martinez in this, but like if you cut out his first week or two of the season, his numbers have been more good than great. This team has a $30 JD Martinez. I would be shopping JD Martinez hard in the offseason. Someone will pay you for that $30 JD Martinez. And I don't think you're going to miss him next year. Um, this team has a $38 Trevor Story and a $36 Trey Turner. I would probably be shopping one or both of them. And like, you may have to trade them for a $5 guy who is not nearly as exciting as those guys, but is a better value or a better fit for your team. Um, but that's an okay thing to do. And it, I, in my experience, you're better off trading those guys for something you're going to keep than you are just cutting them. As long as you make sure that we trade for is something you actually want to keep. Sometimes people make those trades and they come away with something that they're like, well, at least I got something for him. It's like, no, no, no. Don't just get something. Get something that you actually want to keep that makes your team better. If you can't, then you can cut those guys. And it is okay to cut someone even if you think they're a good value, or I guess I should say a fair value. If you really think they're that good a value, you should keep them. But it's okay to cut a guy who you think is a fair value especially like if you shop a $30 after the season, a $32 JD Martinez. 
and nobody will trade you anything of use for him, then why would you keep him? Right? Because then the league is telling you they don't value him at that price. And so I would move on. And if you get to the draft and it turns out that you need an outfielder and JD Martinez is the best option out there, then that's where you'll spend that money that you saved by cutting him. So be it. But I would I would shop those guys hard, see what you can get. If you can't get anything, you're going to have to make some tough choices. Um, and I would try to get some of those prospects and stuff, like I said, in September. They may help grease the skids, right? It might be that you might not be able to trade JD Martinez for something, but maybe you can trade JD Martinez and a guy, you know, a prospect you pick up who pops up into the back half of the top 100 on baseball prospectus or pitcher list or fan graphs or anywhere else in the offseason. Like, go, go get, you know, maybe one of those guys all of a sudden becomes the secondary piece that allows you to trade JD Martinez for someone who's more exciting and a better keeper for you or a better fit for your roster. So, Go out and get those guys and, and ditch those end of the bench guys once you don't need them anymore. So we're at about the hour mark. We've answered questions from Twitter, from Slack, from Discord. Pete, you asked you you answered my question earlier. Now it's my turn to answer your question. <laughs> what is the auto new question of the day? Sure. So it's another pitcher focused question as I continue to build my staff or, or figure out how I'm going to build my staff. And essentially it's what is the most important specific tool or skill? And it could be anything. It could be like a really effective backdoor slider, which would be a weird response or like stamina. But what is the one thing that you think is most important as it relates to a starting pitcher in odd new point scoring? Strikeouts. Easy answer. Uh, it's, it's strikeouts because they are the only thing so there, there, are, there are only two things a pitcher can do to earn points. Almost everything a pitcher does is is going to cost. Right? You give up a hit, you lose points. You give up a home run, you lose a lot of points. You give up a walk, you lose points. You hit a guy, you lose points. The only two things you can do are you can get outs, right? You get 7.4 points and in Fangraph's points, it's 7.4 points per inning pitch. So every out is, is worth points and strikeouts are worth extra points. Those are the only ways you can get points. And so strikeouts matter a ton. Uh, it's also the way a pitcher can make up for issues with home runs or walks or something like that, right? You get enough strikeouts, you can make up for that. In in very in head to head leagues like the one we're in, stamina and going deep into games matters as well, right? So in our head to head league, we have a nine start per week limit, so you can use nine starting pitchers, which means. Like I've got Ranger Suarez on that team. I picked him up when he was closing. Now he is pitching extremely well as a starter. He's been excellent for like three and four inning bursts. And the problem is that in over four, three or four inning burst, you have to be legitimately great to be worth using one of my nine starts, right? And so I haven't really been using him. My hope is that he gets stretched out. And as he gets stretched out, he continues to perform. And then I can start using him again. But guys who go deep into games are really valuable in those head-to-head leagues, more so than they are in in um, season-long leagues. But strikeouts, and, and specifically strikeout per nine, uh, since innings in, in a season-long league, innings pitched is your where you have a limit. And so you want guys, you want to maximize the number of strikeouts you get per inning pitched. So then and that is how you can... So then if I put out a situation like, let's say you take a player who racks up strikeouts, but doesn't pitch many innings, right? Let's let's just say Tanner Houck, because I, I got him up on the TV right now, okay? And compare him to an... Do you always have him up on the TV? Like when he's not pitching, do you just like pull up clips of his old game? Yeah, I just haven't actually paused on his face. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you got a Tanner Houck who's, you know, you're like 7Ks and in five innings or 8Ks and in five innings versus... Like, let's go into another extreme, like a prime Kyle Hendricks or Adam Wainwright, who's out of his mind right now, without focusing on the specific names. Like, clearly there's a theme here, right? Like a an eight, nine inning guy, and there are so few capable of doing that with few strikeouts or very few innings, but lots of strikeouts. You're preferring who? Because it sounds like Hauk or the other guy. It, it, it depends on whether you're in a head-to-head or a season long. In a season long right. league, I'm going with Hauk. In a head-to-head league, uh, or in the Auto New Prestige League, I'm going with Wainwright because, and now there's there. It depends how big a gap there is in innings pitched, right? 
But like if if you have a stud ace level caliber pitcher who only goes four innings to start, let's let's say Hauk is that, right? He's just pitches like an ace, but only for four innings. That's like six points an inning. That's gonna be a 24 points per start. In a season long league, the five innings that he doesn't pitch, you get to make up with someone else. And so you'll get the get some amount of points back for that. In a head-to-head league, you've lost that start. That start is gone. You cannot get it back. You cannot make it up. If Wainwright goes seven very mediocre innings and gets you four points per inning, that's 28 points, right? That is four points more than you got from Hauk for that same start. Now, again, in a season-long league, those three extra innings, you could pick up some other crap pitcher, and that pitcher can throw three innings for you, and you will be better off with Hauk and that guy than you are with Wainwright alone. In that scenario, right? Wainwright's actually been better than that, but that's neither here nor there. Um, in, but in a in a head to head, you can't. There's nothing you can do to make up for that. So, it that that's that's what it comes down to. Now, the challenge is that sometimes you get guys who like if a guy's going seven innings at three and a half points per inning. That's starting to get low enough that Hauk is going to beat that if he's actually throwing up six points per inning, on a, at least on a somewhat regular basis, and it gets much, much iffier. But if you really have a guy who you expect four innings from and a guy you expect seven innings from, they'd have to be pretty far apart on the point spectrum for the four-inning guy to be better in a head-to-head league. So it sounds like the, this really underscores, in both formats for sure, but my mind's always on the head-to-head because that's what I'm in, the need to have good relievers. Right. Like that, that will make up the difference for, you know, if you get the three and a half versus four point per inning starter or the guy who doesn't go deep into games, you have those good relievers that can really make up the difference. Yeah. And I think in, you know, in in head to head, you need those relievers to be bulk relievers because the more innings you get, the better. In season long, bulk relievers matter, but high quality innings are are more important. Right. um, Because you have that innings cut off. So in in head-to-head leagues, there is no limit on your relief innings, right? You have your five relief pitcher slots per day. But if you manage to max it out so you had five relievers throw every single day over the course of a week, you could get a ton of points and a ton of innings. You're going to win your matchup Interesting. Um, almost regardless of what else happens. Realistically, you can't do that. So it's not really a, a factor. But like you do have this sort of unlimited resource in terms of relief innings that you can go after. But... Yeah, I mean, in yeah, you just it's those starts that 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 starts per week limitation in those head to head leagues makes depth in a game so valuable because it really comes down to you're you're measuring different things in a season long league. What you care about is points per inning pitched. In a head to head league, what you care about for starters is points per start, not points per inning pitched. If you throw one inning and somehow manage 50 points, that's awesome. If you throw eight innings and manage 51 points, that's better, right? Because the start is what it is. So mm-hmm. um, I don't even know how you would get one inning and 50 points. You'd have to have a lot of drop. <laughs> yeah, third drop strikes. third strikes. Like, like 30 of them. <laughs> <laughs> Just a pitcher goes, you know, throws a, a goes one inning, gives up. 15 runs without giving up a hit or a walk and struck out 18 in the inning. It's just a bunch of them came around to score. <laughs> that would be how you get a 50 point inning, I guess. So there you go. That help you think about, you know, when you're looking at pitchers and, and like in auto new, when I'm looking for relievers, I basically look at strikeout per nine. It's like the number one thing I look at. And then I look at job for relievers, right? Like, are they going to get okay, a lot of strikeouts and are they getting holds or saves that I'm in? In starters, I want guys who have a lot of strikeouts. Yeah, because I'm gonna I'm gonna have a Kyle Hendricks who's gonna be twelve dollars, and we're we're head to head. I'm thinking he's gonna be a cut. He was awful today. Not that that's what's making my decision, but um, I was surprised to get him. You know, clearing waivers, I, I did the minimum bid that I could to get him, and uh, just not. He's just not been good this year. But yeah. like Hendricks, traditionally, like. You know, Hendricks' last few years has been exactly what you want in head-to-head. Sure. Because even though the strikeout, the strikeouts aren't there, which keeps his value low and means you don't have to pay a ton for him. But because he throws so many innings and you can rely on him to just go out there and churn out innings every time out, 
he was scoring a lot of points per start, even though the points per inning were yeah. okay rather than great. Um, the problem this year is he just hasn't been good consistently. Right. And so all of a sudden then it's like, I don't know. If you're not good, you're not good. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you go deep into games. And he was walking a very fine line of success, in my opinion. So, yes. Yeah, I mean, I had the same thing. Like, I, I've, I was a big fan of Marco Gonzalez going into the year in head-to-head leagues because he was a quality start beast. He mm-hmm. went out there and gave you seven innings every time out and didn't give up very many home runs. And, the you know, in auto new, home runs are killers. And so if you're, like, Marco didn't strike out a ton of guys, but he didn't give up very many home runs and he went deep into games. So in those head to head leagues, he was great. Sure. Uh, but then this year he's just been bad. Yeah. So like it's, you know, again, going deep into games doesn't really matter. Um, it does accentuate though, like Max Scherzer, any of the Cleveland pitchers when they're pitching well, like police has been bad this year, but like Cleveland has been getting a lot of innings out of their starter. Bieber often goes deep into games. Plesak, when he's on, goes deep into games. Savali has been going deep into games. Even lately, Quantrill's been getting into the seventh inning regularly. Yeah, McKenzie too. Yeah, so if you get those kind of guys who both pitch well and go deep into games, in those head-to-head leagues, they're gold. Yeah. He'll have to finish strong. Yeah. All right. Well, we've gone an hour and seven minutes I guess that might not be true by the time this gets edited, but it's around there right now. And that seems long enough. We've answered a bunch of questions. If you have more questions, please hit us up. You can find us on Twitter at keep or cut. That's cut with a K. You can also hit us up individually at Chad Young or at Pete B baseball. Don't forget to subscribe to keep or cut, leave us ratings and reviews. We'd love to hear from you. Love to know what you think of the show. Um, Thank you for the 2,500 downloads to date. We look forward to the next 2,500 and we will see you next week.